so much. It is truly an honor to be here. Uh, I am here as part of a great roiling debate about democracy right now in terms of the Democratic Party honoring the fact that this is the first primary state. Welcome to the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, managing editor at nhjournal.com. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast, and I hope sharing it with your friends and giving us a rating on Apple and all that other cool stuff that we do here in the podcast world. Great conversation coming up with Senate President Jeb Bradley, who did more in a single morning to preserve the first in the nation primary than Senators Shaheen and Hassan have been able to do in the past year. He threw the state Senate open to all of the major presidential candidates, starting with Marianne Williamson, who spoke before the Senate on Thursday. You can argue about how major she is, but she's in. She's going to be on the ballot in New Hampshire, which is more than you can say about a certain current president of the United States. And that's going to make New Hampshire just so interesting on the Democratic side. Rumors abounding. That in addition to Marianne Williamson, the uh, best-selling author, and possibly Robert F. Kennedy Jr., more on him and his speech in just a minute, uh, there are rumors that there's a third candidate, someone that Democrats will know, respect, and will have an immediate impact on the race. I do not know who that is. I don't know who this rumored person is. I will tell you straight up. I just know who it should be, which is Stacey Abrams. If Stacey Abrams does not run for president against Joe Biden, she's missing a huge opportunity. The point isn't whether or not she can win. Hey, she's run twice and she's lost both times. Well, at least that's what the votes say. I don't know how many times she thinks she lost, Uh, but she made tons of money. She got a nice house out of it. So there is a brand new house in the Caribbean waiting for Stacey Abrams. All she has to do is run for president against Joe Biden. She will be honored, feted. People will be thrilled. And by the way, you kind of, Heard it in the reaction to Marianne Williamson, who gives a full-throated defense of or advocacy for Bernie Sanders-style democratic populism. She wants free health care for all, paid for by the super rich. She wants lots of government control on the environment and climate change, etc. She wants free college, uh, certain kinds. I I think it doesn't include all four-year schools, but still free college for everyone, on top of total forgiveness of the more than $1 trillion of loans that people took out to go to college so that they could make more money only to make someone else who didn't go to college pay their bills for them who's not making as much money. So that's it's as progressive as you get, and you can see Democrats' eyes light up, certain kinds of Democrats, when Marion Williamson speaks. And that's certainly true in New Hampshire, where Bernie Sanders won the state twice, where people like Pete Buttigieg far outperformed people like Joe Biden. And so there's no reason to think that that style of of uh, campaigning, that style of solidly, unapologetically progressive democracy won't work in a Democratic primary in New Hampshire. So run, Stacey, run. And you have an open invitation to appear here on the podcast. By the way, uh, I did talk radio for a couple of years after the Boston station I was on went out of business in Atlanta. And I actually interviewed uh, Representative Abrams and uh, very smart, very interesting, very engaging uh, and uh, has a real opportunity coming up. What about Robert F. Kennedy? Well, if you read NH Journal, I assume you all do, right? You subscribe to our free newsletter, nhjournal.com. Even better, you subscribe and pay $4.99 a month for the same 
free subscription you get anyway because you're not a freeloader. You want to contribute and keep the doors open and the lights on. Anyway, if you read any journal, you know the story. No one else has it but us. That when uh, Manchester Public Television tried to post the video of Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s speech on their YouTube channel, as they often do, they they have a built-in camera at the NHIOP. It, you know, their customers, the, the people in Manchester, have a lot of access to what politicians are saying at the city level. And thanks to the great work that Neil Levesque does at NHIOP, they have national people. And so they, they stream it on their system. People can watch it at home on TV and they post it on YouTube. At least they usually do. YouTube stepped in and banned Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s speech at the place where presidential campaigns start. They banned his political speech from YouTube, and it's still banned. They confirmed uh, on Wednesday that they plan on keeping it banned. And Robert F. Kennedy's attorney reached out to us and said, well, then we're going to sue. So should this political speech be banned? I, I don't believe in banning speech at all, so it's, this is all very easy for me. But in particular, political speech, the, you know, the, the motive behind the First Amendment was not to protect nitwits you know, saying rude things about each other's mamas. The point of the First Amendment is to protect political speech so we can have open debate and make better decisions in a democracy. Robert F. Kennedy's speech, whatever you think of it, was certainly political. And for people who say, yeah, but Michael, it's so extreme. His anti-vax views, so extreme. His anti-science views, so extreme. It couldn't have been too extreme. I saw the chairman of the Democratic Party, Ray Buckley, right on the front row, sitting next to Senate Democratic leader Donna Susi, both of whom got shout-outs from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So how extreme could it be? If, if Donna Susie can watch it, then gosh darn it, so can everybody else. Come on, YouTube, post the speech. Now, before we get to Jeb Bradley, what about the Republican side? And if you're one of the uh, folks in the national media who listen to this podcast, thank you, always flattered. You read our stuff, pick it up. Thank you, very flattered. Yes, we're on the ground here. We talk to Granite State Republicans every day. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's going on? And I will tell you that the number one question is inevitably, what is Governor Chris Sununu going to do? And my answer is, as it has been for a while, no idea, no clue. If you told me tomorrow that he's absolutely running, I would not be stunned. If you told me tomorrow he has no plans of running, wouldn't be surprised. He's still getting great press coverage. And it was noted when uh, New Hampshire Public Radio, the left of center media outlet in the Granite State, wrote a glowing review of a guy that they've kicked around pretty hard in the past. Compared to it being the charm bracelet or the charm on the bracelet of the Republican campaign, immediately any journal heard from traditional Republicans going, yeah, they want Sununu in so they can use him to bash Trump and DeSantis. And, you know, they want Sununu to play the John McCain role, which is the Republican who hates Republicans as much as the media hates Republicans. I don't know. I don't know that Governor Sununu would do that. Uh, you know, he's always said he's going to support the party's nominee. Uh, he, you know, in, you know, in New England, Chris Sununu is a very Republican Republican. I mean, compare him to Phil Scott in Vermont or Charlie Baker. Well, I mean, come on, Charlie Baker barely passes for a conservative in Moscow, much less in New Hampshire. But you see my point in, in purple New England, Sununu is not a squish. He's pretty Republican. He's pro-choice, but he's pretty darn Republican, but not everyone in the base sees it that way. And given how much the media love attacking Trump and DeSantis, you can see that that may be why he's getting the glowing reviews he is, or it could just be, look, he's a talented politician. He's great in the press. 
calling Trump the orange-haired elephant in the room. Great line. Way to go, uh, CTS. But uh, I have no idea. And I, I talk to people who claim they're close and who are close and aren't close. And everyone is just, we have, we have no, lots of questions about money and fundraising. It has to be uh, uh, you know, focused on that. And so as soon as we hear something at NH Journal, you'll read it, which is why you need to subscribe nhjournal.com. Uh, you know, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is, uh, you know, he just announced a seven-figure media buy. I, I read that memo carefully that he sent out. It's not just the video that you can see in the newsletter, but uh, it's other, he said, social media, et cetera, as well. So who knows how much he's going to spend on actually putting that video in front of eyeballs. Will there be TV involved? I don't know. But uh, Vivek is spending some money and seven figures gets people's attention. And uh, Nikki Haley uh, campaigning in Iowa, pulling big crowds. But everyone's watching DeSantis. The Amos Tuck dinner is coming up this spring. Big fundraiser for Republicans. And the question people are asking is, will it be Ron DeSantis or President Trump as the featured speaker? It's TBA. Uh, those are the two names that are being bandied about. No clue. Could be someone told Alec Baldwin. I don't know. But those are the names being bandied about as New Hampshire Republicans do what everyone else, every other Republican is doing. Ask themselves, how is Trump doing really? Does he still own the party? Does he still have control of the party? And what kind of candidate will Ron DeSantis be? And as long as those questions are front of mind it's just harder for other candidates to find any room on that stage is already so full with trump and desantis on it how do you make any room that's one of the many reasons that maryland governor larry hogan uh, chose not to run and so we'll see where it goes from there meanwhile plenty of new hampshire politics happening including an appearance by marianne williamson in the state senate which is what we talked about with jeb bradley here on the new hampshire journal podcast so please welcome to the New Hampshire Journal podcast, the president of the New Hampshire State Senate, Jeb Bradley of Wolfboro. Senator Bradley, welcome. Glad to have you. How are you, Michael? Thanks I'm, for I'm having fine. me. So I, just want, I just want New Hampshire Journal to have the first opportunity to get this from you. I assume now that you've heard her speak, you're ready to endorse Marianne Williamson for the Democratic nomination for president. Do I have that right, Senator? <laughs> you know what? Um the beauty of the New Hampshire primary is that we welcome everybody to New Hampshire. You know, presidential candidates, they come into our homes, they come into our restaurants, other yeah. businesses, places of establishment, and we're going to welcome in, them into the New Hampshire Senate. So I'm looking forward to uh, more of them. I gave, you know, Miss Williamson a little homework assignment, my calendar. <laughs> I'm not sure I've given you a calendar yet, Michael. You're going to have to come visit me to get one. Looking but, forward uh, to it. Every presidential candidate that comes to the New Hampshire Senate will get a um, homework assignment um, <laughs> looking at the White Mountains and other places in our great country. So from a standpoint of just strategy, I think that the move that you announced on Thursday was brilliant, which is throwing the doors open to all of the candidates, you know, your major candidates, regardless of party, because it really is an affirmative action defending the first in the nation primary. You know what? I mean, you're right. That I mean, clearly that helps us by, you know, promoting the presidential exactly. primary. But I think that the way that we promoted it is that for you know years and years through many election cycles 
you know, we have welcomed presidential candidates here. They love campaigning here. Um, even when we disagree with presidential candidates, we're always agreeable to them. We welcome them, as I said, into our homes, places of business, sure. et cetera. That doesn't mean we're not going to answer, ask tough questions sure. and expect honest answers. And I think that because of that process, people that have gone through the New Hampshire primary who have succeeded in mm -hmm. being the president of the United States are better off for it because they've, you know, they've had to look New Hampshire voters in the eye shake their hands, answer tough questions. And that's why we're going to do everything that we possibly can to maintain that first in the nation status, because at the end of the day, we're proud Americans and we believe in the live free or die state that we have a responsibility and we're going to take it seriously. Well, NH Journal heard from a D.C. Republican who works in the campaign slash money world, and they actually said it's hilarious. The state Senate has now done more to preserve the first in the nation primary than the entire federal delegation. And I thought that was an interesting observation. You know, I'll plead the fifth on that one, Michael. <laughs> but no, but it, my understanding is that we've had presidential candidates appear before the house in the past. So this is. Oh, not absolutely. I mean, I remember, um, you know, when I was in my first term in the New Hampshire house, seeing Bill Clinton, um, I mean, he gave. A I, I was going to guess Abe Lincoln speech. when you when you said your first term. I was going to guess Abe Lincoln, but uh, I guess I was off. No, 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 no. I <laughs> look. I may have gray hair, but it's not that gray. So you uh, you you uh, made a pitch, you know, or or established, I should say, a, a brick in the wall defending the first nation primary. You also uh, moved the cause of Medicaid expansion forward with a uh, unanimous vote. Not a lot of those coming out of the state senate on contentious issues. Why do you think you were able to get unanimous support? And what do you say to the traditional small government Republicans who say, "Look." It's all fine while the you know, federal money's throwing around. You got Joe Biden flinging money and everything that moves. But eventually the state's going to have to pick up the entire tab for this Medicaid expansion. Well, see, that goes back to what we established the first time we did Medicaid expansion. You know, we listened to the concerns of taxpayers and, and adopted, you know, two very important provisions that have been in our Medicaid expansion law from day one and continue to be in it and will be in it. Um, you know, if this bill passes right. and gets signed into law, number one, the funding is 90% federal funding. And if that funding slips below the 90% funding level, our program winds down and ends. So that's number one. Um, so far, so good. The federal government has maintained that commitment, and we expect that they will. But if they don't, then, as I said, the program winds down and ends. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, um, we've made it very clear that there should be no general fund for the state share, that 10 percent that we have to fund. And we've um, found ways to do it without using the general fund. All the Medicaid policies are subject to the premium tax. So that, you know, is almost like found revenue. Right. Um, the policies are subject to the health care assessment. So that's generated money. And then, you know, several other smaller sources of revenue um, have filled the coffer, so to speak. And the alcohol, not the alcohol fund, but the liquor fund 
if there is a need for further funding, um, can provide that funding. So I think that, you know, we have really gone to great ends to protect New Hampshire taxpayers from changes that might come from Washington or to protect taxpayers, you know, in terms right, of sure. use of the general fund. You know, something I always say, Michael, um, you know, people like to say that they're opposed to an income tax and, and that's great. But you can't spend yourself to an income tax. That would always be a threat. And by virtue of the fact that there are no general funds in this, mm-hmm. we're making sure that we don't lay the groundwork for a spending bonanza that leads to an income tax. And was there no pushback from the 10 Democrats in the state Senate regarding making this you know, more impervious to future D.C. actions? In other words, say President you know, DeSantis or President Haley takes office and they say, look, we're going to make states pay their own way. We're going to restrict our contribution. There was no pushback on that? That was one of the um, foundational tenets of the first Medicaid expansion Got it. in 2014. It happened again in 16 and 18 and as part of the law. And I think that, you know, my Democratic colleagues have realized all along that Medicaid expansion, if it's going to have bipartisanship, if it's going to be effective, if it's going to work in the way it's intended to work, um, there had to be a consensus that Mm -hmm. everybody had to compromise. And um, that was something that my Democratic friends have accepted from day one and continue to accept. I think they know that if suddenly we're on the hook for Medicaid expansion, um, it would be a big price tag. And, you know, we'd, you know, be on the hook for it. And so they've um, accepted that. And I, my hat's off to them. Okay. So on an area where you guys didn't agree, I'm totally puzzled by this uh, Senate legislation co-sponsored by all 10 Democrats that says we are going to keep the current abortion law with the restriction on abortion after the 24 weeks. So they just voted in favor of the abortion law that they all voted against last session and have denounced, spent the last election cycle denouncing as a ban on abortion. So every Democrat supports a ban on abortion. I'm, I'm, I'm totally confused, Senator. Help me. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And I think that, you know, all of our speakers today pointed that out, led by, you know, the majority leader, Senator Carson and Senator Birdsell and, you know, Senator Rashardi and um, Senator Abbas and, and Senator Gendro all pointed that out. What you were fighting tooth and nail against in 2021 and 2022, mm-hmm. a ban on abortion up until the moment of birth. They, my Democratic friends fought that tooth and nail. Now, suddenly they are supporting that late term abortion ban. They couldn't be more clear. They could not be more clear in that. So why didn't Republicans vote yes, too? Why did it die? Uh, Because the law is clear. Okay, we have only a ban on late term abortion starting, you know, after 24 weeks. And I think you've done a really good job in New Hampshire Journal of pointing out the support among New Hampshire voters at 70 to 80 percent do not support abortion on demand up until the moment of birth. I mean, they just don't. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I just, I, I, I'm starting to figure out why they proposed something that doesn't do anything. I'm also kind of confused why Republicans didn't say, sure, you want to do nothing? We'll be happy to do nothing too, but we'll let that one go. Cause I want to take the last few minutes to talk about education and the efforts to restrict the EFAs. I, I've been interested in how popular these programs are. When you look at the number of families using them, it's, you know, small compared to the, you know, uh, 80,000 80, ish, you know, kids in the school system. And yet it's really popular. Democrats seem determined that they are going to somehow restrict it and possibly kill it. They didn't have any luck. In fact, the uh, proposal that would have forced a kid who wanted to make a change in their EFA program, let's say they were in an elementary school and they wanted to go to a middle school, they'd have to spend a year in public school first. That died in the Senate. Can you do you understand the motivation behind trying to kill it? I'm, I'm confused on that. I mean, they have fought education savings accounts tooth and nail and it's surprising given that 3,000 um, low and modest income families are availing themselves of the opportunity when their kids need something outside of the public school um, to better their education I I'm surprised quite frankly and shocked that they haven't seen how popular it is especially among folks of modest income in New Hampshire, and they continue to do everything possible, you know, to throw uh, a wrench in the in the spokes to upend it. I think that, you know, the Senate will um, stand tall for, you know, the rights of parents, especially those of modest income, to be able to have the opportunities their kids need, right. especially in light of what's happening in our schools. More and more people um, are using education savings account because, you know, I look, <laughs> I have four kids and <laughs> three of my kids went to Kingswood Regional High School. It was great for them. My daughter needed a different experience. I was fortunate, but um, that's not always the case for a lot of New right. Hampshire families. So we've tried to target it to um, modest income families, but sure. we also had a three-year phase down where school districts are receiving funding, you know, for the students that they have lost. Right. And so at the end of the day, school districts should be able to actually save money because the cost of educating a child in New Hampshire, Michael, is about nineteen to twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollars on average. And on average, the education savings account is giving a parent forty five hundred to five thousand right. dollars. So that saving should be there for property taxpayers. No, if you're a property taxpayer, you want every kid to use this. You want them all to <laughs> flee the local schools, leave all that local funding behind, get their little five grand, which is nothing, like you just pointed out. And it's a big win back home. And yet Democrats claim that that's taking money away from the public. I don't understand how you have you go from 10,000 kids you have to educate to 9,000 kids you have to educate, but you get to keep 75% of the old money. That that just gives you more money per kid to spend. Or am I doing the math wrong? Yeah, I know you're doing the math correctly. And for those that argued that it was going to be a cost to local property taxpayers, that's where the three-year phase down came in so that districts had the opportunity to make an adjustment Right. when losing students so you know and here's the other thing um i just have to say over the last couple of budget cycles we've added i think it's about a quarter of a billion dollars 
for education funding for adequacy and school funding. And, you know, that's been done to help our public schools. It's also been done to help property taxpayers. And I think that, you know, you will see the budget that comes from the House um, after, obviously, Governor Sununu introduced Mm -hmm. it and the Senate that's going to support you know, continued funding for education, enhance adequacy so that we can not only help fund our schools, public schools and charter schools, but also help property taxpayers. Okay. That's so the let's wrap up with rank punditry. Uh, Governor Snoonu said the other day that if the New Hampshire primary for president were held now, Ron DeSantis would win. Without asking you to pick any candidates, or whatever, what are you hearing from the people of Wolfboro? Like, what kind of mood are the Republicans in the mood? Do they want to do 2020 again and back Trump? Are they in the mood for a new fight? Are they cranky? Are they happy? Did, did the 2022 setbacks have an impact on the average Republican? You know what, Michael? Let me tell you something. Um, I have been so focused on the legislation um, in this building. Mm-hmm. And also focused on defending our first in the nation primary that I just I really haven't had a chance to think about um, individual candidates or any of those type questions. I'm really thrilled that, you know, I was able to give a homework assignment to <laughs> Marianne Williamson, a Jeb Bradley 2023 calendar. I'm right. looking forward to doing it for others. And th- there'll come a time and a place to think about the question that you asked, but I, I don't know the answer. At this I'm point. looking forward to the day that you are standing next to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. endorsing him for the Democratic nomination. I'm looking forward uh, to that. Senator Jeb Bradley, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Well, don't hold your breath, but uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening.